0: So many of you know that I am a huge fan of football. It's by far my favorite sport, at least as far as the NFL goes. But one of the things that I really love about football are the stories that come out of it. Now, every sport has its great stories. The thing that makes it famous, the great victories, the great defeats. But I think football's got the best ones, even if they don't always involve my team. It seems like every season has its highlights. It could be a team doing really good, a team doing really bad, or just a really great story. And this current season that's coming to an end is no different. When I look back over the season, there's one game in particular that stands out to me, and it involved the Minnesota Vikings in Week 15. They were not having a good game. They left their first half behind zero points to the opposing team's 33 points. There you see Corman shaking his head back there. (laughs) Statistically, the Vikings had no chance. They should not have won that game. Zero points going into the second half is not good. But we know that they did have an incredible comeback and that they won that game 39-36, to making it the largest comeback in NFL history. I won't mention the losing team or the fact that they have blue and white colors and a horseshoe for their symbol, (laughs) but it's an incredible story for the Vikings and their comeback. And a lot of that credit, while it was a team effort, a lot of that credit fell on their quarterback. The jersey he was wearing is now in the NFL Hall of Fame, which shows the importance of that game. You see, he was the leader of his team. He was the one that had to go in there during halftime and convince them to go back out and play and not give up. It also helped that he had a pretty good second half as far as scoring points. But he did something really, truly extraordinary. And between his leadership, it was through his leadership that they were able to win that game. So that's what we're going to talk about this morning, what, we, what if we do something extraordinary. Extraordinary. And our scripture this morning comes from Isaiah chapter 55, 54, verses 1 through 4. It says, Sing, O barren woman, you who never bore a child. Burst into song, shout for joy, you who are never in labor. Because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband, says the Lord. Enlarge the place of your tent, stretch your tent curtains wide, do not hold back. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes. For you will spread out to the right and to the left. Your descendants will dispossess nations and settle in their desolate cities. Now if you looked at the bulletin this morning, you'll see we're in week four of our series called What If? And this morning we're going to be answering the question, what if we did something extraordinary? Our main passage in Isaiah centers around something truly extraordinary, and that was the restoration of Israel. The opening verse says, Sing, O barren woman. In this verse, this is a metaphor for Jerusalem. Jerusalem, in turn, represents the people of God. Isaiah was describing the city as a childless, husbandless woman who had suffered a great deal. During this time period, to be a widow without any family meant you would be destitute and meant you would have no way to survive. God's people during this time had nothing much like a widow or someone who had been deserted. While Jerusalem had been captured and its people were taken into captivity, there was next to nothing left of the city. We know that it was eventually rebuilt and that God's people would eventually return to the city. We know that Isaiah, as well as several other prophets in Scripture, prophesied that while the nation of Israel had fallen, it would one day be restored when the Messiah would return. And we see these same prophecies referenced throughout the New Testament in Paul's writings as he's writing to the early church. And we'll look at some of those examples in a little bit. But my first point for you this morning is to enlarge or expand your capacity. When we look back at verses 1 or 2, we see it going from referencing a barren woman to talking about tents. Again, this is another metaphor. A typical nomad's tent during this time would consist of nine poles in rows of three. They would divide the room into two parts, one for men and one for women. But this style of tent could be expanded simply by adding another row of three poles. That would allow them to make another room. However, when they did this, it was crucial for them to make sure the poles were strengthened and that the fabric was stretched incredibly tight or else the structural integrity of the tent would be compromised. The Israelites reading this would have seen this as a metaphor for the coming growth and blessing, which we know was seen through the eventual arrival of the Messiah. And while this is a metaphor, in the New Testament we can see it came true. After Jesus' death on the cross and resurrection, the early church exploded. Believers formed church after church. The church was literally expanding from town to town. And one amazing aspect of this explosive growth was how God used ordinary men and women to do huge things for the church. Think of Paul, the person who was trying to persecute the church and put an end to it, and how he was trying to stop God's message from spreading, and how he was turned into one of the most greatest missionaries of all time. He went on to write a significant portion of the New Testament. Or think about any of the other early church leaders who were all just ordinary people that did incredible things for Christ. Now, I know there are a lot of gardeners in our church, and I was talking to Benita not too long ago, who was talking about how much time she has left to get projects done before she has to put her garden in. Well, if you look outside, you got a little bit more time. <laughs> but the thing about a garden is you can only plant so much in it before it comes overcrowded. Now, you might have your whole garden planted, and you might say, I really wish I could get some more fruit from this garden, some more produce. But you can't keep planting. In order to get more produce, you have to expand the size of the garden. You have to expand the amount of soil that you can plant stuff in. At one point, this church building consisted of mainly the room we are in right now. But throughout its history, this building has been added onto several times In order to increase its capacity. So what do tents, gardens, and buildings have to do with each other? They all require there to to be an expansion in order for growth. In order for something to hold more, its capacity needs to be expanded. Just as the early church exploded and the Word of God spread throughout the world in the New Testament, there's still a need for that expansion and growth of the kingdom of God throughout our world here today. We know that there's that need right here in our own communities. So how does this apply to each of us as individual believers? How do we expand our capacity? And what exactly are we expanding our capacity of? Well, I'm glad you asked. (laughs) The first thing we can expand is our comfort zone. I'm talking specifically about sharing our faith with others. I know that it's easier to not say anything or do anything when we see an opportunity that requires us to go outside our comfort zone. It's easy to think that someone else will do it or that we don't possess the gifts or abilities to do it ourselves. But remember, just as God used normal everyday people to grow the church in the New Testament, he's going to do the same today. Remember that God does not call the equipped. He equips the called. Another way we can expand our capacity is by letting go of the past. Isaiah 43, 18 and 19 says, Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you perceive it? I'm making a way in the desert and streams in the wasteland. Now you don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you are holding on to things from your past. Maybe there's something that hurt you and caused you pain. Maybe there's that person who has wronged you. When we hold on to these things, it can quickly turn towards bitterness, which, when we allow it to take hold, becomes our focus. In this scripture, it's telling us to let go of these things. If we focus only on our past, then we'll miss out on our present. We'll miss out on what Jesus is doing around us what he's trying to do in us and through us let go of these things in your past and allow Jesus in much in the same way that he makes streams in the wasteland in the passage we just read before i finish this point i want to look at one verse in first chronicles 4:10 now first chronicles is one of those books where if you just want to go and read something exciting you're probably not going to go there it's full of lots of lists lots of numbers But in between two of these big lists, there's these two really important verses that talk about Jabez. And so in verse 10, it says, Jabez cried out to the God of Israel, Oh, that you would bless me and enlarge my territory. Let your hand be with me and keep me from harm, so that I will be free from pain. You see, in this significant prayer, Jabez isn't just praying. He's literally crying out to God That God will give him more territory that he'll then be able to conquer for God. What would it look like for us to cry out to God to give us more territory to conquer for him? But before we do that, we have to first conquer the territory we already have, the territory he's already entrusted us with. What would it look like for you to plan a route around your neighborhood or your block, or if you live in the countryside? the closest houses to you? What would it look like for you to do a prayer walk around that territory or a prayer drive? What is the territory that God has entrusted to you? And what are you doing to conquer it for him? What are you doing to shine his light in the darkness, to show others love and comfort in his name? Ask God to show you what territory he wants you to take and then take it, praying continually that he'll give you more so that you'll be able to expand his kingdom. Enlarge your capacity. Our second point this morning is to stretch your commitment. While the first point focused more on expanding our capacity, this point focuses on how we stretch ourselves and our commitment to others, specifically in showing others God's love. Paul writes a lot about this in his second letter to Corinth. In 2 Corinthians 9.6 it says, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. And then Matthew 5.16 says, In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. When Paul was writing these words, he was writing about an offering that the Gentile believers had taken and collected that was being used for the Jewish churches. And the Jewish churches were praising God not just for how the Gentiles' gift would help them with their physical and material needs, but more so how the Gentile believers had submitted themselves to the Holy Spirit and how he had gave them a desire to give. It showed that the Gentiles were not just acting as believers, but they were showing it by living it out and putting their faith in action. It's been said that it's difficult to preach the gospel to a hungry man. And that's why it's important to both preach the Gospels to others, but also to serve and meet their practical needs. We can't choose one or the other. They both go hand in hand. And this can be a challenge, especially when we're good at one over the other. For some of us, we might be really good at talking to people and sharing our faith with them and leading them to Christ. But then we kind of neglect the other part of it, of showing them love, of serving them. Or for others of us, the opposite might be true. We might be really good at volunteering, serving people, helping them. But when it comes to actually talking to them about Christ, that's when we start to get outside our comfort zone and might struggle with it a little bit. But that's where stretching comes in. We need to stretch our commitment to both God and others by telling others about God as well as serving them. There's also one other interesting impact that was made through this gift from the Gentiles. And that was in the unity that it had fostered. There were some extreme Jewish legalists that had accused Paul of being anti-Jewish. He had gone away. He's planting all these Gentile churches. He must not be for the Jewish church anymore. The Gentile churches were farther away, so they had the geographical disadvantage and a cultural disadvantage driving a wedge between the Gentile and Jewish churches. And Paul was fighting to prevent this division. And this offering was one of the ways he was doing that. It showed an act of love that the Gentiles had for their counterparts, that they did not have to give, but they chose to give after the Spirit's prompting. Second Corinthians nine thirteen and 14 says, Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, men will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. The Gentiles' offering united them with the Jewish church through the prayer that they were both praying for each other. Praise, prayer, and love were what resulted from the Gentiles' generosity towards the Jewish church. All of these things helped strengthen the church and help it to expand even further. Just as these three things are important for the New Testament church, they're important for us and our church here today. We need to constantly praise God, which is what we're doing this morning. We need to be strong in prayer, both as church and as individuals, and we need to show others God's love. My last point I mentioned about selecting the territory where you live. This is where the prayer walk or drive comes in. Many of you might remember Dr. Lowe spoke some time back about a prayer walk and how important it is to consistently pray over your community, to consistently pray that the Holy Spirit will be working in your community, working in people's houses where you don't even know who lives there, but the Holy Spirit does. And So what would it look like for you again to do that, to have that consistent prayer walk? What would it look like for you to show love to those within the territory God has given you? Remember, how little or how much you sow is how little or how much you will harvest. Another thing, the Jew versus the Gentile was one of the biggest divisions of that time. And today we have no shortage of divisions in our culture. We have divisions in our nation. We have divisions in our church denominations where there are literally falling apart at the seams and leaving their denomination. We have divisions within our state, within our schools, our communities. We even have divisions within our families. Think how if we stretched ourselves and our commitment to Christ by showing his love to others, how those divisions could heal. The last thing I want to talk about with commitment is our commitment to Christ. Jesus was referencing his coming death when he said in John 12, 24, I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. He goes on in verse 25 to say, The man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life in the world will keep it for eternal life. He's calling us to be committed to him, to praising him, to praying and showing others his love. How many of you know the song, I've decided to follow Jesus? How many of you know the story behind it? Well, it's a very short song with relatively simple words, but has an incredible history. You see, there was a revival in England after which a group of missionaries went out to tribes in northeast India. They were warned repeatedly not to go there because these tribes not only were closed to the gospel, they were closed to any outsider's period And one tribe in particular had a reputation as vicious headhunters. They were incredibly dangerous. But these missionaries went anyway. And despite this opposition, they were able to share the gospel with one of these tribes. And in this tribe, there's a man by the name of Noxeng and his wife and two kids who all came to Christ. And then afterwards, they started to tell others about Christ. And they came to hear him. But after hearing about this, the chief of this village grew very angry, and he gathered all the villagers together. He called Noxen and demanded him to renounce his faith publicly, or he would kill his family. Touched by the Holy Spirit, Noxen replied, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. The chief was outraged and ordered the man's two sons to be shot with arrows, and they fell dead immediately. Again, Nak-sen told him was told to deny his faith or his wife would be next. He responded, though no one joins me, still I will follow. No turning back, no turning back. Naksang's wife also died after being struck with arrows. The chief then asked for the final time for Naksang to deny his faith so that he could live. And Naksang gladly said these final words, The cross before me, the world behind me. No turning back, no turning back. Nok was then immediately shot and died like the rest of his family. But this experience, what happened here, ended up triggering a massive revival within this village, all beginning with the chief. The chief was extremely disturbed by the faith of this man. He couldn't understand why Nok his wife, and his two kids would be willing to give up their life for a man who lived thousands of years ago and lived in another continent. So he wanted to experience the remarkable power behind this man's faith. The Holy Spirit touched him, and he spontaneously confessed that I, too, belong to Jesus Christ. Upon seeing this, all the villagers who were gathered there and heard their chief expressing his faith in Jesus Christ all accepted Christ as well. This entire village gave their lives over to Christ. I don't know much about Noxung and his family, but I do know they allowed themselves to be stretched. They were committed to following Christ, even though it meant giving up their lives. And as a result, the very man who ordered their death came to Christ, which caused their entire village to in turn come to Christ. My final point this morning will be brief, and it's to expand your influence. In verse 3, we can see where the Israelites received their blessing. That or saw their blessing that will eventually come, saying they will spread to the right and to the left, that their descendants will take over foreign cities. This is suggesting an area expansion where they'll be able to return to their land someday and take possession of it once again. In John 6, 10 through 13, we see the results of what happened. After all Jesus' disciples could find to feed a crowd was five loaves and two small fish. Says, Jesus said, Have the people sit down, about 5,000 of them. Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, Gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. Now there's a lot to unpack with this miracle, but I want to focus on the miracle itself rather than its surrounding events. Remember that these loaves of bread are not that big. After all, this was a meal for a young boy. For this to feed 10 people or a family would have been a miracle in itself, but to feed 5,000 people and have 12 baskets left over was truly incredible. It's hard to fathom what it must have been like to witness this or to be a part of this crowd. This miracle was only able to happen through Jesus, but it also happened through the little boy who was willing to give up his lunch. Try and think what's going through that kid's mind. His scriptures don't really tell us the details of the conversation that was going on behind, with him and the disciples, but it probably would have been fun to witness. So you have this young boy, he's hanging out with this massive crowd, makes me kind of wonder where his family was he's probably getting hungry, and he wants to go eat his food. And then a man comes up and says, hey, can we have your lunch? We want to feed this crowd with it. The important important thing here that I want to focus up on is that the boy did give up his lunch. He didn't know if he was going to get any of that back, but he gave it away anyway. Whenever there's a need, give all that you have and let Jesus handle the rest. Through this boy and his lunch, thousands of people were able to be fed, but more importantly, through that miracle, they were able to give their lives over to Jesus. This boy didn't have much, he just had a small meal, and more than likely, due to his age, people didn't take him seriously. But through his willingness, he was able to fill a need he saw and able to influence countless others as they witnessed this miracle as well as the millions of people that have read this story and are continuing to read it to this very day. Sometimes we think we can't do that much. We look at the things around us happening in the world and say there's nothing we can do. And while that might be true that we can't do much alone, when we have the power of the Holy Spirit within us, our influence can be multiplied exponentially. We need to do as the boy did and give it all Give all we have and let Jesus do the rest. As believers, we can all have an influence. We just have to choose to use it. One way we can, another way we can influence others for Christ is yet again by sharing God's love with others and helping them know Christ. But just as important as that is to continue and walk alongside them. This is where discipleship comes in. Because if you're able to, work with that person, help them mature spiritually, then they will be able to go out and do the same thing. They will be able to go out and share the word. They will be able to go out and disciple others. This is how the early church grew so quickly. Through multiplication, the more people who come to Christ means there's going to be more people to go out and tell others about Christ. Let's say, for example, we took 80 people from our church who went out this week And each one found one person who they could share Christ with, who they could share Christ's love to, or walk alongside them. Those initial 80 have just doubled to 160. 160 people expanding their influence for the kingdom. Now, I'm no math expert, but if we took that initial 80 people and doubled it 10 times, we'd have the number 40,960 people that would be reached for Christ. Now, why is that number significant? Well, it's a number we've been talking about a lot lately, as it's roughly the number of people within our community who do not know Christ. When we look at that number by itself, it seems like a huge number. But that's probably the same thing the boy was talking about, the same thing the boy was thinking about when he was asked to share his lunch. But Jesus blessed it and caused it to be multiplied. And in the same way, Jesus will bless our efforts as we expand our influence within our communities and around us. Jesus wants to use us, but we have to give to him what we have first and allow him to then multiply it. Brown's Chapel might not be able to reach all of those 40,000 people very easily. But if we surrender what we have, if we stand back and let Jesus move, then he can do things through our church that we can't even begin to imagine. The bottom line this morning is that God can restore us and our community just as he did Jerusalem. My only application point this morning is that we as a church and as individuals are called to do extraordinary things. Brown's Chapel has an incredible history from its inception all the way up till now. Incredible things have happened through this church, and I believe God is positioning our church to continue to do incredible things that he's going to do something extraordinary in our church. But for that to happen, we have to continue as a church to seek God and his wisdom and allow him to use our church and multiply it. We need to be unified behind the common goal of sharing the gospel and showing love to all those we encounter. But we as individuals are also called to do extraordinary things. God wants to do extraordinary things through us, just like he did with the boy who gave up his meal, just as he did the family in India who gave up their lives, and just like he did with the people who enlarge their territory and are committed to prayer. But again, in order for these things to happen, we have to get out of the way. We have to expand our capacity, stretch our commitment, and allow God to expand our influence. Can you imagine what it would be like if each one of us left here today and did that? What if each one of us did something extraordinary? Imagine what it would look like for our church and our community. What if each one of us walked around our territory and bathed our communities in prayer? What if each one of us stretched our commitment and showed God's love to those around us? What if each one of us allowed God to radically transform us and to influence others for his kingdom? What if we got rid of the what-ifs and turned them into reality? So, as we wrap up and as you go into this week, pray continuously and seriously that God will show you what extraordinary thing He wants you to do. Remember, it might be something small like five loaves and two fish, but only God knows the impact that it will have. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you for your word this morning, God, from Isaiah. I just thank you for the extraordinary things that you've done through people in the past and things you were doing through people in the present. And God, I just ask that you do extraordinary things through us here today. As individuals and as a church, I just ask that you'd help us to humble ourselves before you, that we would give you everything we have and just allow you to do the rest. God, I just ask all these things in your name. Amen.